Hi guys and welcome back to the latest episode of the ASU Sports Business Podcast. Um, I forgot what number we're on now actually, but I guess that means it's going well. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is the last one for the year, um, as we're in December. I hope you guys are looking forward to your Christmas festivities and a new year. Um, hope you guys are also enjoying the newsletters that we're sending out. Um, we're probably going to do a survey on that, so we shall keep you guys posted or please look out for that in your emails. Um, but yeah, I guess we can get straight into it. And today I am pleased to introduce you to someone who mm, has a very, very vast, I say it that way, yeah, vast understanding of the um, African space in general, especially regarding uh, social development. But yes, her name is Rachel Aaron. So Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself and just, yeah, let people know about yourself a bit more? Okay. Um, thank you so much, Gabriel. No it's worries. a pleasure being part of your podcast. I thank you for the invitation again. Thank you. So for your listeners, thank you. My name is Rachel Aron. Um, I work for the African Development Bank Group. That is an international organization, also known as a multilateral development bank that finances public sector and private sector investments all across 54 countries in Africa. At the African Development Bank, and you'll hear me also, it's also referred to as AFDB, yep. I work specifically as a principal social development specialist. Now, maybe let me get into my background. I'm an African woman yep. um, who had maybe the benefit of living a maybe more privileged life um, inside Africa and outside. Yeah. But in so doing, um, I witnessed quite a bit of poverty. So you can, when you look at poverty and you understand what poverty means for different people around you, and even though you may not be suffering from poverty, at least I was fortunate in that aspect, it always instilled in me a passion to want to do something about it. And that's what got me into development. Okay, yeah. So my academic background, I have a master's in international development mm -hmm. with a focus on community development and gender. Um, I got my master's degree from American University in yep. Washington, D.C., yep. in the United States. Um, my professional background, I've worked on social development issues um, at the policy level, at the project level, and at the program level in both civil society organizations and international organizations. Um, while I currently work for the African Development Bank, um, I will be speaking today in a personal capacity yeah. to bring the, the experience that I've had over a number of years to link them in terms of social development and sports. So I just wanted to give that background so we can segue into your question, Gabriel. So in your own words, um, can you explain what is meant uh, by social development? Okay. For, for me, social development is what I do every day, all day, what I think about. Yeah. But I view social development as being a set of approaches, mechanisms, and strategies that you use to uplift communities, specifically okay. in Africa. Yep. Um, I'm not saying that obviously social development applies all across the globe yeah. in um, developed and developing and emerging markets mm -hmm. and everything, but I'm going to speak of social development, how I perceive it and define it, specifically in the African context. Yeah. So I view it through these different set of approaches, mechanisms, and strategies. It's how you work to uplift communities across the continent. Yeah. It's how you work to advance progress, social progress on different fronts. Mm -hmm. For me, social development is an important tool or instrument because it allows you to increase social capital, social cohesion, yeah. and build social protection systems in a sense. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about that, and maybe to help also everyone understand what it really means, yeah. you're talking about regions in different countries, when we have 54 countries in Africa, yeah. in which social issues are the forefront on how everybody leaves. You're talking about how social issues are so intertwined into people's economic lives, people's cultural lives, people's political lives. It's everything that they witness every day. So in the work that I do, I have to obviously, and my understanding of this mini of social development means that I also have to apply it in the work that I do yeah. in my professional job at AFDB, as well in other roles I have in an advisory volunteer capacity. So being able to look at what are the social benefits, what are the social risks, what are the social opportunities that you need to help grow and enhance communities, mm -hmm. that you need to connect communities, 
that allow you to deal with social issues that affect them Mm -hmm. related to gender, resettlement, climate change, um, culture, conflicts, and a whole sub-segment. So in essence, for me, social development is how you go about bringing and instilling positive change, social growth and progression, mm-hmm. and how you work to promote social sustainability. Okay. So that's that's how I would personally define it. Okay, that's good. Um, regarding the regions in Africa, I mean, maybe for people looking from outside in, obviously segregating to North, East, Central, Southern, um, and Western Africa, um, how does it actually look like the the landscape of social development in each region. So for example, like what regions is it, can we see good examples or can you see social development really uh, having a big impact to other areas where it's not so, um, just in your opinion? Okay. So how I look at social development in each region, I've had the privilege of having lived and worked extensively in each of the five regions of Africa that you mentioned. Now, I would say that there are a number of similarities, you know, Um, similarities in the sense that in all the regions of Africa, and I think this thing's true, there are three similarities that I see. One is respect to social capital, Mm -hmm. and that you see there's this vibrant social capital that exists. And social capital is what taps into, let's say, the skills, expertise, the knowledge, the networks. So there's this vibrant social capital that exists in all regions. Mm -hmm. There's also this incredible, what I call social resilience against shocks. Now, all across all their regions in Africa and actually the countries, to be honest, you find a lot of Africans have been faced with different shocks, political shocks, economic shocks, humanitarian shocks, linked to obviously humanitarian crises, Mm -hmm. a lot of different shocks. And they don't have the benefit maybe of infrastructure of institutions that can maybe protect them. So there's been this natural and incredible social resilience that they've developed and that you see in different regions. And I think that's also something, a common similarity. The other similarity I see in all three, all of the regions, and the third one would be what I call the power of culture. Culture is what defines an identity, your purpose. It what, let's say, defines the traditions and the custom that you respect or even defy. So when I look at how social development, this the perspectives and the dimensions of social development exist in the different regions of Africa is through these three aspects, social capital, social res- resilience, and the power of culture. So those are similarities I see all across. Mm-hmm. And the importance of these three elements is that to drive social development prospects of Africa and allow them to grow not only tackling with poverty, but other social ills, but most importantly, to create social opportunities where now you see there's social benefits. You need to understand and tap into the power of social capital, social resilience, and of course, the power of culture. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of differences, obviously, there are definitely natural differences. Yeah. Um, you're talking about distinct regions. Despite the similarities I mentioned, mm-hmm. there are some differences in regions that are linked to nuances, the different at a lo- nuances at a local level, the different experiences with poverty. Poverty is different in rural, urban, and peri-urban areas mm-hmm. in all of these different regions. The disparities. There are also differences that come out with a lot of what we call indicators. So indicators that speak to human development, gender, education, health, and in other realms. So some of the differences. But I think overall, when I say this, Social development, and there is social development. There's a lot of social development that's occurred on the African continent. So I don't want to give a misperception that yeah. there isn't. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of potential to accelerate the existing social development prospects and achievement, yeah. accelerate and grow them further and take them to the next level in order to pull people out of poverty, pull people out of marginalization, pull people out of conflict. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say in summary. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the term CSR, so Corporate Social Responsibility, would you class that in the same bracket as social development or completely different? It, I would class it as a comp, um, compartmentalize or categorize it as being different. Okay. Um, it can be used, CSR, Corporate mm-hmm. Social Responsibility, can be used to advance social development perspectives yeah. or prospects, but it depends specifically in what context. Okay. So when you, when you mention in what context, is that depending on what what tool they're using or yes it depends on what tool and aim um okay. for me at least the work i've done 
I look at social development at different levels. Mm -hmm. You can look at it at the micro level, the meso level, the macro, which means that, you know, from very small things at the very local level, Mm -hmm. all the way up to the very regional or continental level. So it depends on what you're doing and what you're looking at exactly. But I mean, I think one thing that stands out is that social development is important in driving economic growth yeah. in Africa. You can't just focus on economic growth alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me maybe put it in this context mm-hmm. um, because there's this, it's intertwined. Let me look at it this way or explain it this way. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of effort in the past number of years and decades to drive economic growth across Africa. Yeah. Now, it's important as we move forward in 2019, moving on to 2020, which is why I really appreciate the discussion that we're having because we're ending one year and going to another year, a new year with reflections in a sense. Mm -hmm. So while it's important to invest in driving economic growth in Africa, it's equally important to also invest in driving social development and everything at the same time. And I say this because you can grow a country economically, but if you don't grow the people socially, then you'll never achieve what you're looking for in terms of holistic developmental change. Now, let me say this. So social development and this kind of as a tool, like you said, a tool and instrumental lens, it can be so many things depending on how you want to categorize it. But social development is all about not just investing, let's say, in the infrastructure, let's say the roads, Mm -hmm. the power plants, the airports. It's specifically about a conscious decision, conscious decisions and efforts to invest in the people, in African people and communities across Africa. Mm -hmm. So social development provides different methods and strategies, approaches to grow their intellectual capacities, to grow their entrepreneurial capacities, to grow their productive capacities, basically to introduce new skills and enhance skills less in areas such as skills that allow them to function in digital economies, which is the area that the world is going through. So social development becomes, let's say, hand in hand with economic growth. It allows you to deepen economic growth and make it much more inclusive and socially inclusive specifically. So I want to say that. that Now to answer a specific question around the climate, Mm -hmm. what is the current climate in, you know, there's so many ways you can answer it, but I'll say this in my sense. What is the climate or aspects that we should be concerned about in Africa right now? And how can social development be used to assist us with that? I would say there are two issues that come to mind. One centers around fragility. The second one centers around climate change. Now, in fragility, a number of African countries are experiencing some form of fragility. Fragility involves political crises. Fragility involves armed conflicts or Post, post-conflicts, once those conflicts end. Yep. Fragility involves humanitarian crises. Fragility also involves gaps, major gaps in terms of income inequality. These are major issues. So when you're talking about fragility, which a lot of African countries experience in one form or another, and just for the listeners to understand, in Africa we have what is called middle-income countries as well as, let's say, low-income countries. Basically, depending on GDP and other factors, some whose maybe economies are much more vibrant, so that they're considered a bit more economically advanced in other areas, Mm -hmm. but some who still deal with, let's say they might have higher GDPs, but per capita, but still deal with the same levels of fragility or social problems as some of our lower income countries. So I want to make that distinction so that there's no confusion in anyone's mind. Our countries that are middle income as well as those that are low income all experience some form of fragility that I explained. So that's one aspect when I talk about the current climate in Africa. One of the aspects that we're dealing with still is fragility that comes in different forms and everything. The second thing that we're dealing with centers around climate change. It's no secret that Africa as a continent, though we have very diverse landscapes and environmental and environments, we have been ravaged by the impacts of climate change. Now, unlike other continents in the world, our mechanisms to protect ourselves institutionally, infrastructurally, against the impacts of climate change are weaker. So climate change has seen itself manifested across Africa in terms of droughts, um, excessive flooding, um, increased desertification, so Mm -hmm. many different things. So with this climate where we have to deal with the risk 
associated with fragility yeah. and the risk associated with climate change, you have two very distinct factors that are threatening our ability to continue to grow and progress socially. So a social development lens can be used to better understand when we're looking at fragility or when we're looking at climate change, what actually needs to be done. When we talk about climate change, there's been a lot of talk around climate change mitigation, which is important. However, when it comes to Africa, the real emphasis has to be on what we call climate change adaptation. Mm -hmm. Climate change adaptation is essentially the social implications of climate change. So how do you adapt your economic livelihoods? How do you adapt your social behavior? How do you adapt certain patterns in terms of your agricultural or subsistence farming patterns? How do you adapt in light of new climatic realities Mm -hmm. that are affecting the way you live your life, how you make incomes, how do you adapt to, let's say, natural disasters yeah. whose, let's say, footprint is getting larger? So it's things like that that a social development lens will allow you to look at. Yeah. What are some of these social issues associated with fragility and or climate change, for instance, to assess those social issues better and develop solutions to them that would allow you to address them in a much more holistic manner, a more inclusive manner that also involves different stakeholders mm. at a local level and regional level. And when I say stakeholders, stakeholders is different groups of people. It can yeah. be civil society organizations. Yeah. It can be government entities. Yeah. It can be private sector players. Mm-hmm. It can be also people who live in the diaspora. Yeah. You know, so they're different things. So that's yeah. what I would say in terms of mm. emphasizing why social development, advancing social development prospects have to be done in parallel with advancing economic development prospects, why Mm. it's important, but at the same time how the current risk that we're facing, such as in the areas of fragility and climate change, are also equally important that cannot be ignored and through which a social development lens should be applied to help us and help all of us who work in Africa, live in Africa, or Africans themselves, and I'm an African woman, I'm not excluded from this, yeah, to help sense. us reach the social development yeah. and the social progression, the full, I should say, the full social development progression and full social development potential that exists in our continent. Yeah, it sounds as though both go fit hand in hand, like a hand in a glove, in terms of the social yes. and economic. Yes. You can't do one without the other. They really help yes. each other. Um, yes, at least in my opinion, I yeah. think so. Because it's often social has been neglected yeah. and assuming that if you go for the economic, then it automatically trickle down, trickle mm. down, not necessarily. No, that make, that makes sense. And I've even, from what I've seen with loads of um, African organizations or not just African organizations who are doing some sort of developmental uh, work on the continent, uh, usually we have areas, you know, infrastructure, agriculture, but maybe sport as a tool to bring those social, maybe economic um, development ideas across is maybe not so much at the, yeah, not so much a, a tool that people nece- necessarily think of straight away to use. And in your opinion, why do you think this may be? I mean, I would say that I think there are different reasons. Yeah. Um, I think that international organizations, mm-hmm. and this is both bilateral or um, bilateral agencies and multilateral agencies alike yeah. um, don't focus on the link between sports and development yeah. for different reasons. Now, I'm not saying that I necessarily agree because I think it's a lost opportunity. I think this nexus between sports and development is very strong yeah. and should not be neglected, but it has to be well understood. So I think international organizations maybe neglect to focus on the full potential of sports and development for a couple of different reasons. I think one is they're guided by policy and strategy frameworks that often don't recognize or include the importance of sports and development. Um, They also, a lot of international organizations, don't see sports for its full potential. They see sports maybe as a recreational activity or Mm -hmm. something you do for pleasure, but they don't see the full potential of what I'd call or what is known as the sports economy and everything. And I think also there is somewhat of a limited strategic vision or maybe limited technical expertise of the staff they have to be able to see that. You don't have to be someone coming from a sports background, either academic or professional 
solely to see the value of a sports economy. Yeah, it true. means then you need staff. I mean, having that complement of staff would help you naturally because mm-hmm. they would know, they would see it naturally. Yeah. But if you don't, then you also need people who can see the linkages the same way as you know you see in other cross-cutting and other important issues. Mm-hmm. So I would say all of these reasons, plus a simple fact sometimes, like with gender, it took a while for a number of international organizations in many years ago to really get on board and understand yeah. what gender equality means yep. and how to work towards it. Same thing with climate change. It took a while to understand what climate change means and how to work on it. Yeah. And I believe it's the same thing with sports economy. I think hopefully we'll get there, but I believe platforms such as yours, Gabriel, open and shed light yep. on the sports economy and its link with development, it's close link and that nexus. So yeah. first the discussion and the sensitization is key. So thank you for providing such a platform we can actually openly talk about it. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, and just to lead on from that too, so we've actually started to see some slight change. So for example, we've seen a collaboration with NBA and FIBA, which I'm sure you're aware about, and even work in like football, for example, which is starting to use sport as a tool to um, tackle social issues. Do you think this has brought more attention, in your opinion, to, okay, like, just drawing a bit more focus to actually using the sport as a tool, or do you still think there's uh, still people not have not necessarily caught up with that yet? Um, I think, yes, it has. Yeah. I think that um, through those efforts, uh, that, yes, it has. It's made us realise that sports can be a very effective tool in, let's say, advancing social development prospects, in particular in Africa. So yes, and I think for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One is sports has this natural convening power. It's a unifier. You know, sports brings so many people together, depending on the sport, but even more so. Secondly, sports also brings a very mighty financial muscle. You know, everyone is not just watching it, but people, it's not just the attention, it's the financial ability to, let's say, implement some of these CSR and other programs. Mm -hmm. But despite all of that, I'd like to say this. Now, one of the key challenges in advancing and promoting social development prospects across Africa lies in inadequate funding. So much needs to be done, but there isn't enough money. So bringing on sports as a tool is key because sports also has that financial muscle or that financial resource mobilization capacity that maybe others might not. Secondly, I think it's also important, and when I say yes, it does that, I think there's much more that can be done with respects to this nexus between sports and development, especially in Africa. We need to leverage more on this because you can do greater things when you have partnerships and synergies. And these are some of yep. the examples we've seen, like you said, through the NBA, um, through FIBA, yep. you know, and others that have come in and through their foundations and through their sports leagues, through and their athletes have really shown the power of partnerships and synergies in pushing forward, let's say, social development-oriented goals. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are a number of examples. There have been programs in sports and peace, sports and education. Um, we've also seen how sports can be used in other domains. I would like to highlight that while, yes, they have shown a good example, more can be done, mm-hmm. much more can be done. And we need to also use sports to address issues related to entrepreneurship, yep. related to health, and in other areas across Africa. Mm. Just just to touch on that, I mean, how do you think that can be done? Do you think it would need to be just more examples of the the collaboration between sport and social development? Or what can practically be done to actually do that? Or is it just, again, referring to who the sport organisations collaborate with in order to achieve that? Okay, I think it can be done in different ways. Mm-hmm. I think one is there are a lot of... Um, good intentions you know yeah um what we've seen across africa and all the examples we've seen um either at an individual level with individual athletes or at a collective level with philanthropical foundations or with private sector partners or others there are a lot of good intentions sometimes though while the intentions are good and the money is available through these initiatives sometimes it isn't always that clear strategic or programmatic focus yeah you know so i think Sometimes maybe that might be the missing link. 
Um, I think that also communication is key. Yep. Some people may not be aware of what's happening outside of the actual games yeah, that are associated true. with the sports. You hear a lot of publicity and communication, including through social media on them, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't hear as much on what they do in terms of this philanthropical work, CSR work, and other capacities in advancing social development goals. So mm-hmm. I think communication is also key. I think lastly, there has to be an open dialogue. There has to be an open dialogue that involves different segments of society across African countries that to see, yes, sports can be a driver. The sports economy can be a driver. So maybe Mm -hmm. people aren't aware. They're used to maybe a traditional perspective. You know, let's talk about sports more, sports and development. Let's talk about this intersect between sports and nutrition, sports and health, sports and substance abuse, sports and mental health. sports and disability these are real issues that exist these are social problems and social concerns but maybe we don't talk enough about the role that sports can play in addressing them Mm -hmm. the role that sports can play in giving them visibility Mm -hmm. the role that sports can play also in financing either technologies or innovations to help address them for instance so that's that's what i would say from my perspective no and great answer (laughs) um so i'm we're going to take a little break now, um, and then we shall be back to talk in more detail and about an initiative that uh, Rachel is involved with. So I'll see you guys shortly. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Africa Sports Unified, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please do let us know your thoughts. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss or people you want to join us on the podcast, then we'll be keen to know more. Connect with us on social media, AS Unified, across all platforms, or simply leave a comment. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. So, hi guys, welcome back. Um, so, yeah, Rachel, just to continue from where we, uh, where we left off at. Um, so, from your, from your experience, what are the most effective CSR or social development programs that uh, you've seen? And what's made them so effective? Okay, so I think the ones that have been effective, and like you said, and thank you for highlighting them, they're CSR, social development programs, community development, community investment, whatever term you want to put, I think they have certain characteristics. One is such programs are informed by socially inclusive and gender responsive consultations with different groups. Now, what do I mean? That means when you're developing these programs, These programs have come together by bringing together different groups within the society, let's say, to make sure, let's say, vulnerable groups, the intended beneficiaries, different groups of, let's say, the youth. Um, It could be unemployed youth to hear their perspectives, disabled youth to hear their perspectives, different groups of women, let's say women maybe who are engaged in, let's say, informal economy activities. Mm -hmm. So they've been effective because they've been able to be socially inclusive, in inviting and including everybody, yeah. and gender responsive, knowing that there needs to be this balance between the perspectives of men and women, boys and girls, and then bringing them together in a way that allows them to freely share their perspectives and give ideas. Yeah. Now, effective programs have also been guided by qualitative and quantitative data and statistics. Data is important, even if it's not in numbers, even if it's obtained through surveys. You know, you need to understand data to understand how it drives, let's say, the programs that you in the areas that the programs are in. Mm-hmm. So they have to have that, the data and statistics in some form or fashion. Thirdly, I think the effective programs are ones that have moved away from traditional CSR, especially in Africa. Yeah. The traditional CSRs often involve giving away school books, giving away football um, equipment, yeah. giving away medicine. Those are all important. Don't get me wrong. As traditional CSR, they're very important. However, even highly effective programs are looked taking a more holistic approach. It means, let's say, you're building a school, you're building the structure of a school, mm-hmm. you're building, you're providing the equipment for that school, and you're providing training. Let's say, in terms of digital skills and digital education, 
or you're providing a curriculum on entrepreneurial skills. Yeah. You know, so I would say in terms of for me, that's mo- that goes beyond the traditional CSR. Yeah. It means you're looking very long term and very futuristic. How can what I'm doing in the short term have impact in the long term in those communities across Africa? Yeah. And then um, the other point I'd also say, which would be the fourth point, is that effective programs in Africa have been ones in which they have a diverse or multidisciplinary staff who would implement okay, yeah. these programs. It means you take people with the technical skills, the financial skills, the project management skills, yeah. other legal skills, other type of skills, and of course, people, let's say, who would be considered social development specialists like myself, mm-hmm. you bring this multidisciplinary team together who can help you implement these projects and yeah. programs. Now, also, effective programs have to ensure that they put in place mechanisms for the continued assessment of what's working and what's not. And then when you see things that aren't working, even if you have the best intentions, you find ways in which you can come and correct them. Yeah. So maybe if you thought that, for instance, you're going to target 2,000 people and you realize actually the target was too high, it's better to reduce it to 500 initially and phase it out, you have that ability to assess correct and move forward. You'll eventually reach the 2000 target, but you know that way in which you assess, is this working, is it not, or more that needs to be done. And finally, I would say effective programs in Africa are ones that are able to communicate effectively, communicate in a culturally appropriate way, making use of our local languages, as well as making use of social media, because a lot of people are connected by social media across Africa. So that's what I would say in that realm. Oh, brilliant. And off the back of that, are there examples you've seen of how organisations from the private sector have used sport as a development tool, other than obviously the MBAs that we've mentioned? Actually, I can give one example that comes straight to my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, The Eunice Sports Hub. Now, the Eunice Sports Hub was founded by Professor Mohamed Yunus, Mm -hmm. who we know founded the Grameen Bank and everything, as well as with um, Professor Yunus and Johan Nogier. So the Eunice Sports Hub is very different. The Eunice Sports Hub actually takes this whole concept of social business and entrepreneurship and makes it the center of what it does. So in a way, it's like creating a business to solve poverty-related problems. Now, in so what they've done, the Unis Sports Hub, is that they have a two-pronged approach. One is identify social issues, and then they secondly, they see how they can use a social business and sports to address those social problems. Mm-hmm. So maybe let me give you an example. It's my knowledge um, that they should have recently there, I believe by now it should have been finished or almost finished, were constructing a center, a sports center in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. Now, this would be their first entry point into Africa. So this sports center takes this concept, will basically conceptualize what they're, this whole notion of social business and entrepreneurship. So they're building basically a sports center in Abidjan in one of the poorest communities in Kumasi. Mm -hmm. Um, It will have a small business incubator. So basically they're using sports to attract young people, teenagers to the center. And once they've attracted them, then they have the incubator there to help instill in them about lessons on social business Mm -hmm. and give them access to economic opportunities. And I think that is a very good example where sports and social enterprise social business come together in terms of and obviously as everyone knows social enterprise social business is also a key component in driving and accelerating social development no it makes sense um no that's perfectly said and it does make sense um so we've spoken in detail about uh an initiative to say uh that you're involved with called the african renaissance and diaspora network ardn um which includes a variety of stakeholders. Do you want to elaborate about what the ARDN is about and their aims, what they're looking to tackle? Yes, definitely. So um, this is something I'm doing in my voluntary capacity. Mm -hmm. So let me maybe share with everybody, the listeners and yourselves, what it consists of. So I was approached actually by Jibril Diallo, who is the president and CEO of the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network. Mm-hmm. So the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network is a nonprofit organization that operates globally, but is registered in the U.S. Yeah. And 
the ARDN has a consultative status with the United Nations. Now, the work that the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network does is basically in support of the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, as they're commonly known. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what they do um, in a nutshell. Now, where my involvement comes in, so in a at an individual level, I'm supporting the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network, specifically in providing them with advisory, um, an advisory capacity. That's how I'm supporting them mm-hmm. on a very unique and incredible program that I'm actually quite pleased to share with, with your listeners. Now, the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network has developed a, a program that's specifically called the Campaign to Give a Red Card Against all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls. And this is significant. Now, what we're doing in this case and my involvement in it is that basically through the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network, this is a concrete example in which we're meeting this nexus between sports and social development and specifically through football. And that's why this red card campaign is so important yeah and i can i can describe um much more about it but just to let the listeners know we're using the platform of football because football is a global unifier mm-hmm. football is something that everyone knows about brings people from all walks in life together and football is key especially in africa because football is a platform that allow us to get our message out there yeah. effectively so this red card campaign um, is has been developed by the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network in close cooperation with FIFA, UN Women, UN Population Fund, mm-hmm. the President of the UN General Assembly, wow. and the Republic of Costa Rica, in addition to other partners. But yeah. I can explain more about it. That's huge stakeholders that you have involved there. Um, yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we, we, you know, you have to bring, yeah. to, for the, what we're hoping to achieve, we need to bring people with a certain level of visibility so that we all use our networks effectively to help address um, and combat against all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls. So how, how, um, you mentioned using the tool of football and you mentioned the um, tackling violence um, uh, among women and girls. Um, Has it gotten to the stage where you guys have a uh, detailed strategy about how you want to activate some of these campaigns that you want to do? Like what's the... What's the, not what's the end goal, but how can people get involved? How can people know more information about it? Sure. So the campaign will consist of different parts. But before I get into those details, I think it's important that I speak about what are different forms of violence and discrimination that are faced by women and girls in Africa specifically. Because just to make, it's also good. One of the things I want to do through the campaign is to elevate the levels of awareness and sensitization. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give some examples. Now, these are examples, in my own personal and professional opinion, should be considered. Of course, as we tweak the campaign, we'll make the final decision. But I want to share it because I think it's important. Now, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying in Africa, there also is violence that's perpetrated against men and boys. I'm not diminishing that. However the scales of violence and discrimination against women and girls in Africa are much greater. That's why we're focusing on it. Now, these are some forms of violence and discrimination that I want to share with everyone. And let me list a couple of them. Human trafficking, exploitative child labor, child abuse and neglect, domestic violence, stalking, cyberbullying, sexual assault and violence, modern day slavery, domestic worker abuse, corrective homophobic rape, discrimination based on HIV AIDS status, Mm. reproductive abuse, discrimination against women with fertility issues, conflict inflicted rape and discrimination, prison inflicted rape and discrimination, urban gang initiation rape, patrilineal rights over children abuse, verbal abuse with cultural identity triggers and child marriage. So this is quite a detailed list. Extensive list. And for my perspective, given the work I've done over the years and experiences and the knowledge I have in the social sector of a number of different types and different forms of violence and discrimination that African women and girls face. Mm. And I'm sharing this because maybe some of your listeners may not have been aware of them. 
Some may not have been realized that they're categorized as forms of violence and discrimination. Obviously, with the campaign, we will formally decide as the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network which ones we focus on. But I think the dialogue, we should have a very transparent and candid dialogue about all the things that exist and that exist and are perpetrated against African women and African girls so that then we can then know how we use our red card campaign to then work to basically fight against these different forms. Yeah. But yeah, how can people maybe get involved with the campaign? How can they know more about it? When is the campaign going to start? What's the duration? Uh, is it just like an annual thing or are you working towards a, a certain date? No, definitely. Yeah. So the, the campaign is going to be launched globally mm-hmm. on March 6, 2020 at the UN headquarters in New York. Now, the significance of this global launch, like I said, we have partners who operate at a global level. Yeah. We're trying to give this issue significance. And obviously launching it on March 6, 2020 at the UN headquarters gives it that visibility that it needs. Mm -hmm. Now, the campaign is going to run from March 2020 until um, until 2022, at the time when the FIFA World Cup starts in Qatar. And this is why it's important. That's a good two years for a campaign. This is not a short-term campaign. This isn't a fuzzy feel-good campaign. This is a campaign that focuses on very serious issues. Just like in football, when you get a red card, there have been serious violations that's been committed on the football field by players. It's the same message that we want to send with respect to all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls, Mm -hmm. and also specifically in the African context. Now, what is one of the first things that we're doing? You know, visibility is only as good as your message. So a key component, one of the key components of this red card campaign that the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network has developed with its partners focuses on getting 1 million signatures. We want to get at a global level at least 1 million signatures from different people saying that they're standing up alongside us, saying no or whatever, giving a red card to all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls. So one of the key components of this campaign is collecting um, 1 million signatures. Mm. So those who are listening, um, this is a call of action, and I'll repeat it more. (laughs) The 1 million signatures would need to be done through our website. So I can give those details at the end of the call. We'll go to our website. Um, The prompt will come up, but I can explain that towards the end. Let me also explain other components in terms of visibility. Mm -hmm. Next year in 2020, we're going to have other activities aside from the collection. Obviously, the collection of the 1 million, at least 1 million signatures as a pledge in support of this red card campaign will happen. Obviously, it can start now. We'll continue all the way to 2022. But there are other activities we're envisioning for the campaign. So next year, after the global launch, obviously, of the, of the campaign in March 2020, we're also going to be organizing a, um, a summit on African youth as the African Union Summit. Oh, brilliant. Now, early, yes, so in early, when the African Union meets early next year, they normally will fix the date for their, their summit. Yeah. So that summit will focus on, we're going to be organizing on African youth, and we're going to be addressing this issue around violence and discrimination um, against African women and girls within the context of that summit. We will also have another major event. This will be in September 2020, um, which is part of the Africa Open for Business Summit, Mm -hmm. which normally occurs as part of the UN General Assembly annual meetings in New York. So we'll have activities then. So what we basically have, we'll have these high-level activities in which we're going to be having these very global discussions to see how can we collectively give a red card against all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls in Africa? We're also currently working on um, defining a number of programs that are going to support this campaign next year in 2021, 2022. Mm -hmm. And I can maybe share with you what some of those programs should consider. Yeah, that sounds good. Even uh, even after this uh, podcast, for those listening, um, I will attach a link um, below um, so you can go on the website you can sign up to the uh, to the one million committed members too looking to yes no thanks for that so like I said um, in addition to those high visibility activities we're also going to have 
very specific programs that will be structured as part of this red card campaign. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be working on programs that will factor in a number of key considerations. For instance, one of them is the need for the programs to be culturally appropriate. A number of African languages don't even have terms that speak to some of these forms of violence and discrimination that I described mm -hmm. that are perpetrated against women and girls in Africa. Yeah. They don't have it in their terminology. So we also need to find ways in which we make sure we're culturally appropriate and appeal also to the language that people understand. Yep. You know, aside from obviously formal Western language that is spoken across Africa, Africa has a lot of African indigenous languages that we speak on a daily basis that people understand and how they live their lives. So we also want to make sure the message is understood in that sense. Another consideration that we're weighing in as we're working to develop the programs that will underpin the campaign is the need to engage men in this red card campaign. That's very that important. Men just are important that. as allies. Yep. Football is a male-dominated space. We're aware of that. However, we as women, and I can say this as an African woman, African women alone won't be able to tackle the violence and discrimination that's perpetrated against African women and girls alone. We yep. have to do it with men as our allies. So this campaign and the programs we're going to put together will be around building that sen building that sensitization, that awareness, that engagement, that involvement. So it's not superficial, you know, so yeah. that it's meaningful, it's impactful, it's understood. And engages now, everyone. Also, another consideration that we're going to have or are currently considering in the programs we will be developing is a need to factor in elements linked to ethnicity, class, mm -hmm. religion, sexual orientation, and culture. Yep. Africa is very diverse. We have 54 countries. Yep. Some are big, some are small. We have diverse populations. We have a huge segment of our populations that are young. Yes. We have so many different factors in terms of tribes and culture and other aspects that we cannot ignore. So we have to make sure our programs factor in these different elements, not just in the messaging, but in the implementation, because you want to make sure it's not just something that people see, oh, this is just something that African, the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network is doing with FIFA, for example. We want them able to embrace it and take this home. We can't. We want to make sure this message reaches as many households, as many villages, as many homes in urban cities, as much as we can touch the landscape and the people so that they know we have to give a red card against all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls. Lastly, in terms of, let's say, other additional considerations that we're reflecting on, I think are important for the design of the programs, is also the need to break down barriers. Yeah. You know, everyone uses this term, but you're talking about breaking down cultural barriers. You're breaking down social barriers. You're breaking down barriers that link to our earlier conversation during this podcast mm -hmm. that have nuances and linkages with social development because they are barriers. So you're addressing a wider set of social development issues because violence and discrimination against women and girls diminishes your social development prospects as a community, yep. as a country. So yep. we're talking about breaking some key values and working to instill some level of accountability where possible. So that's that's another consideration. Mm -hmm. And finally, and which I think it's important to say, the reason we took on football, and which is obviously important with the partners, including FIFA and some of the other partners yep. I mentioned earlier, is that in order to sensitize on these issues of violence and discrimination, we also have to make sure our programs reflect on how to do the sensitization within the football industry. That means we should also, as we're developing our, our programs, consider how we're going to sensitize FIFA officials, mm -hmm. national teams, coaches, athletes, as well as the team supporters, the fans. It's no surprise, it should come as no surprise, there are incidents of fan violence um, across in different football stadiums involving different football games, even if they're informal, that need to be addressed. Because sometimes when that fan violence happens, there's some elements that involve substance abuse. Yeah. And with the substance abuse, there's sometimes incidents of sexual harassment or whatever that's perpetrated against women and girls mm -hmm. in that context of the fan violence. 
So I'm bringing this down to what we're talking about today. We have to tackle and give a red card to all forms of violence and discrimination within the context of the football industry as well as outside the football industry. And that's why this red card campaign is probably very different from others that you've heard, but also because it's looking at the different dimensions Mm -hmm. and having a candid dialogue, seeing how we can meaningfully address it, how we create this nexus between social development and obviously sports, Mm -hmm. and how we work to see lesser, much less levels of violence and discrimination against African women and girls. That is um, perfectly and well said. Uh, Once again to everyone, I will include a link um, to the website uh, for ARDN. Um, And yeah, emails and everything will be there um, if people want have questions or want to know more about that um but rachel it's been it's been excellent thank you so much for your time and just your knowledge and sharing that about the um social development aspects um and and of course the reason why i wanted to get so get you on the podcast is because i mean sports is great it's a commercial it does really well but just to try and understand the power of sport. I imagine that with social development and how it can actually bring about change for, you know, the everyday man in your country and on, in Africa and the continent. Um, but yeah, Rachel has been very, very good. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Now, thank you, Gabriel. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for providing me the platform to talk about social development. Um, broadly and also specifically in the sports context. Mm-hmm. So I thank you and your listeners for your time. Um, I please ask you to heed my call of action. Um, get to the African Renaissance and Diaspora Network website. Yeah. The website is www.ardn.ngo. Mm-hmm. Please become and help us take that pledge. As soon as you get up, the website comes up, you'll see a pledge card immediately pop up. Click on that pledge card and add your signature, become one of those at least a million. Show us, everyone knows, we all have a woman or a girl who means something to us, a mother, a grandmother, a friend, a cousin, a sister, we have an aunt. We have in our social circles, our professional circles, our academic circles, we know women. You don't know what women face sometimes Mm. in terms of silently, in terms of discrimination or violence. It doesn't always have to be women who are from impoverished areas across Africa. There are also women who are not from impoverished circumstances who also face violence and discrimination. So Mm -hmm. I say this, let's take a stand against discrimination, violence against women and girls in all its forms and take a stand today with me, with Gabriel, with Mm -hmm. African Renaissance and Diaspora Network and let's make it something purposeful because we promise you that we won't let you down. You will see us in 2022 at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, making good on our promise and hopefully surpassing the 1 million mark, signature mark. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a fantastic Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Take care and speak to you guys soon.